is so great as our God? You talk about God. And then notice, you are the God who does wonders. You talk to God. Don't just talk about him. You tell him and you talk to him. You know, I, I learned these lessons the hard way. But if it isn't well with your soul today, you look at this passage and you tell me if maybe there's not a reason for it. I had to. And God just turns you around and it's an attitude problem. An attitude is something you can change. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we continue our study in Psalm 77 as Colin Smith explains to us how the Psalms are actually the songbook of the Bible, but these songs are actually designed as prayers, prayers that we can bring before the throne of God. Stay tuned for that, but first we'll be joined once again by Gavin Ortland as we talk about how to do theological triage, how to deal with doctrines differently. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. Over the course of this week, we've been talking about doing theological triage, choosing doctrines and putting them in their proper place in order from most important to less important. And I know that how that sounds. It sounds like we are evaluating doctrines based upon our own preferences, our own opinions, but therein lies the challenge here. As we do triage, we consider the things that are more important than those that are lesser important. We are essentially saying that these are the essentials of our faith, and these are the things that we hold to as a part of our conscience. The Bible deals with that very specifically. Well, our guest has been Gavin Ortland, and he's written this book called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. It is a great resource, and Gavin, it is an important subject I think that we can't cover nearly enough. However, one thing that we've learned throughout history is that where there is compromise, that is often what leads to the destruction of the church. And where there is theological compromise, that is where we see heresies form. So what sort of discernment or wisdom do we need to exercise in the process of evaluating our doctrines in light of the fact that this could actually lead to a very dangerous place if we're not being very careful? Yes, I think there's just a, a balance here. You know, this is kind of what my my the entire book is trying to help us work toward. Not that it's giving the final answer, but it's putting out some principles that can help us as we're continuing to work on this. Of, on the one hand, if we lower the the criteria so much, then we're not really having a unity that's based on truth. Mm-hmm. It's just a bland, and that really does not work. It's not even from a pragmatic standpoint. It doesn't seem to be effective at drawing people to Christ and building up churches. Uh, we need to be clear about our beliefs and, as we've said, candid and transparent. But then the other direction, of course, we we just remember John 17. Jesus prayed for our unity, and that was his prayer, the focus of his prayer in his final night on earth in his incarnate state, and then he, um, or before his death, I should say, and then he gave the purpose clause of so that all men will know that you have sent me. Now, I don't know fully how to heal all of the wounds and divisions in the body of Christ, but I know that at least we should be praying for their for reunion, for healing, and seeking whatever kind of unity we can have. And there's different expressions of unity. Even if it's not membership in the same local church, we can still have some sense of unity through partnership uh, praying together, working together, advancing the gospel together. And I think even those efforts will be helpful to, if not fully realize, 
at least move us closer to the realization of Jesus's prayer. For any of our listeners who are trying to figure out, well, where do I stand on these issues? And, and, and am I holding on to an issue too tightly that I shouldn't be holding on to? How do they even begin to look internally and evaluate their doctrines, their faith, their, their practices, and evaluate whether or not they have been too either inclusive or exclusive? Mm-hmm. I think in addition to the framework I set out before of those four criteria that we can look at, another helpful test is to consider where we can be tempted to look to theology uh, as a sort of functional gospel uh, where we get identity from it. And there are ways that this can happen where we should be looking to Christ alone for our sense of rightness. This is what makes me okay before God the Father and also in my standing in the world. I stand upon Christ. I'm clothed in his righteousness. That's where my fundamental sense of I'm okay comes from. Sometimes Christians can look to doctrines for that sense of okayness. We feel good about ourselves because we've got the right position on whatever issue. And so I think it's helpful for us to always try to be discerning about our hearts and ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us whenever we're finding our identity in a doctrine. It's one thing to have a strong conviction, but we should be careful not to find our identity in our secondary doctrines and our tertiary doctrines. And there the the happy solution is just to come back to Christ and rediscover all that he is to us. And in the happiness of that, we'll be less tempted to look to other things. I think something else is the fact that we're kind of talking about this within a very kind of difficult medium, uh, whether it's the internet or on the radio. Uh, these often lend to sort of firebrands that are very dogmatic about a particular sort of hill to die on. Uh, any caution on how we are getting all of these hills to die on from various teachers that are across the globe? I mean, anyone with a computer and a microphone now can have a radio broadcast or a, a YouTube channel. So it's very easy for us to be led down these paths by others. Yes, I'm glad we're touching on this because I'm very concerned about the impact of social media on our culture generally and upon the church. And you're right, people can, you know, the brash voices tend to be heard more. Mm -hmm. And these mediums uh, tend to reward outrage and strong emotional reactions. And so it does seem to contribute to the polarization happening within our culture. And I don't know what to do about that fully, but I would at at the macro level, but I would just encourage Christians to be discerning. And we must remember that if someone doesn't have a local ministry, and if they are not accountable to a particular local church, that should weigh heavily upon us Mm -hmm. in uh, the amount of uh, influence that we give them for the broader church. Mm. Um, So that's something that I think is just good for us to be discerning and just to be aware, you know, these uh, mediums that we are engaging, they're, they're making money by, by dividing us and making us more and more and more angry. And there's so many voices coming at us, telling us to be more and more outraged about things. And we just need to be aware of that and discerning about that. Mm. Our motto is many voices, one message, and we really want to uh, our listeners to understand the importance of having great influences, great speakers, great 
doctrine, great books that can help them. But ultimately, this rests on their shoulders. They have to be in the Word of God. They cannot rely upon somebody else to do all of the work for them and tell them what to think. Uh, We want to encourage our listeners on how to think, and that requires having a biblical frame of mind. I had a, a great professor when I was in college who talked about how our conscience is like a, a wire sieve. You know, it's, they're sifting out things that should be there and sifting out things that shouldn't be there. He says, the only problem is all of the wires are out of alignment from birth. And that's why we have to come to the Word of God on a daily basis to help line up those wires as we seek to become conformed into the image of Christ. Mm. Yes, this is another wonderful practice for Christians to really cultivate is to be so soaked in scripture that Mm -hmm. that is influencing us more than social media, our computer. And I think there are practical steps that we can take that can help the priorities there. One of the things I've done is in seasons of life, uh, whenever I'm tempted to just scroll through Twitter or something like that, I'll have my Bible open next to me. And instead, I'll just start reading a, a, a bit from the pastoral epistles, for example, or something like this. And I just think those practical, small steps of being intentional uh, can help us be more influenced by Scripture, because if we're not intentional about that, it probably won't happen. We've been ta- talking with Gavin Ortland, the author of Finding the Right Hills to Die On, The Case for Theological Triage. It's a great book, and it has been a great conversation as we're thinking through how to ultimately be more like Christ, because we want to honor him in his humility as well as his faithfulness and obedience to God. All of these coming together, it's, it's not always easily uh, navigated, but it is something that we're all called to do as followers of Jesus. So I can't thank you enough, Gavin. Thank you for being a part of the many voices for that one message and taking the time to talk about us, a very touchy subject, but one that needs to be covered. It's my pleasure. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. If you want to find out more information about Gavin Ortland and his book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, again, give us a call, 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com. As we consider Psalm 77, as we've been looking at this week, and uh, hearing from Dr. Colin Smith, I hope that it's challenged you to consider all the ways in which we are troubled in this life, all of the things that have caused us to be anxious and troubled. Now, we cannot live a life where we are devoid of all things. You can't just move out into the wilderness and, and eat locust and honey. I mean, you could, I guess, maybe you're called to do that. I, I'm not sure. I haven't met anyone personally. We can't separate ourselves from our family, our spouses, our children. We can't uh, devoid ourselves of all the things that might cause us stress because some of those things that God has put into our life are meant for our good. Uh, we can't just leave work behind. We can't leave our jobs and our ministries, especially if you're in ministry. These Psalms, uh, book three of the Psalms, are written from people who are in ministry. They are serving in the temple. This is Psalm of Asaph to Jedithan, two priests that are really contemplating these ideas that, that are being laid out for them as they're considering, does God hear our prayers? And will God answer our prayers? As I'm going through and processing all of these emotions, we see then that they finally get to this point. The author of this psalm finally gets to this point where he says, I see now, I see now that 
God wasn't the problem. I was angry at God. He wasn't the reason that I'm facing all these problems. I'm the problem. My perspective is off, and I need to have my perspective renewed. As I always like to say, quote this song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Our perspective is that we've made the dim things, the more important things, than the main thing. And we need to make Christ the main thing once again. We continue now our study in Psalm 73 with Colin Smith as we undercover this prayer. It's a song, but it's also a prayer. You start by remembering the character of God and the works of God, and then you meditate on the right things. Same process, remember and meditate, but notice. I will also meditate on all your work. He says, I'm going to chew that over. Instead of chewing over all of these things, I'm going to chew on the things that you're doing. I'm going to look at your ways. Do you ever do that? Open up your Bible and say, Lord, show me how you work. I see what you're doing, but I don't see how it works. It's a, it's a great thing sometimes to sit down with the kids in, on television and you see how things are actually done. There was a special the other night on one of the stations. On, they were, they, we watched a guy build a flintlock rifle from the raw iron all the way up. And it was an absolutely incredible process, right down to what he had to do to the stock, right down to how, what you have to do to fire it and how they tested the thing out. And, and you under, it's one thing to look at the rifle and say you pull the trigger and it works. It's another thing to understand what went into it. Well, if you're looking at your life and you don't understand and you don't appreciate, well, look at how God works. Look and say, hey, God uses this. and Let me see how God does work. And you meditate and you chew over, how does God work? I've seen this happen before. And as a pastor, I've learned to do that. When things aren't going the way I want, I look back and say, Lord, but I've seen how you make this process work out. I've seen how you choose to work. And I chew that over instead of chewing over my problems. He says, and I will talk of your deeds. I don't complain about your deeds. I talk about them. I tell people what you're doing. Sometimes your pastor is a big cheerleader for the church. Uh, when I tell you how good things are going in the church, it's not because I'm trying to pretend that we don't have problems. We have a few of them. Uh, it looks to me like we've got about 100 of them here today. You know, we have problems. 101. But... That's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what God's doing here. I want to talk, God's doing some great things in this church. And I can look around and I, I tell people about it. You know, God, and I, and I talk about what God's doing because I choose to think about it. And when I talk about it, it's a cycle. What you think about is what you talk about, and what you talk about goes back in. By the way, when you memorize Bible, you've got to talk out loud, read it out loud. If you're reading it silently, you're missing half of it. God made it that when you speak, it reinforces it. There was no silent reading of the Bible whatsoever until about 200 years after the time of Christ. Whenever anybody read the scriptures, they read it out loud. That's how, remember Philip's uh, uh, walking along the road and the Ethiopian eunuch is in his chariot? How does Philip know he's reading scripture? Because the guy's reading it out loud. 
All right? That's how everybody read in ancient days. Read it. What you talk about, what comes out of your mouth, goes back in your ear. And it's reinforcement. So talk about what God's doing. And not just, oh, yeah, and he's, and I can think of something he did. Yeah, I, uh, oh, the toast didn't burn. You know, I'm not talking about this hokey kind of makeup stuff, you know. I'm talking about real stuff. God is doing this. God, choose to talk about that. And then he says, your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great as our God? You talk about God. When you get together after church, I'm not just looking for cheerleading about what. Talk about who God is and how great he is. And then notice, you are the God who does wonders. You talk to God. Don't just talk about him. You tell him and you talk to him. You know, I, I learned these lessons the hard way. And it takes me some time and maybe you. But if it isn't well with your soul today, you look at this passage and you tell me if maybe there's not a reason for it. I had to. And God just turns you around and it's an attitude problem. An attitude is something you can change. I'm going to say this again as I've been saying all week long. What are the things that trouble you? What are the things that you're focusing on that are causing you so much anxiety and so much fear? Now, it's kind of foolish to just walk blindly through life. You can't just close your eyes and let all of the distractions and all the things in this world kind of uh, kind of fall into the darkness. That's like walking across the street without looking both ways. You got to look both ways. Listen, look both ways before you cross the street. I'm not offering you advice that would suggest the contrary. But I am telling you that you need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It doesn't mean you turn your eyes away from the things of this world. It doesn't mean that you don't notice your your spouse or your children or the work that you're supposed to be doing. It's not like that at all. Instead, it says focusing on Jesus, all of the other things are given clarity and perspective. Our challenge in this world is that we are walking through so many troubles that demand our focus, and we focus directly on them. And then we neither help the problem that's in front of us or ourselves. We need to be focused on Jesus. He is the one that we keep our eyes fixed upon. Laying aside, as it says in Hebrews 12.1, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. Let us run with perseverance and run with patience and look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let me encourage you today, as you face the challenges that are around you, as you deal with the struggles, they're looming, they're overwhelming, they're constantly in your face. Those things that are giving you stress, you can't fix them on your own. You've tried in the past, you've maybe even been successful from one time or the other, but they always come back, don't they? Instead, we ought to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Remember that he works all things out together for our good. He's faithful. And when we cry out to him, as it says, to be continually in prayer, without ceasing, when we are talking with God, we're focused on him, then the things of earth grow strangely dim. That strangeness, that strange dimness, it doesn't take them out of sight. It doesn't take them out of perspective, but it puts them in their proper place, not in front of God, but in God's hand. 
I hope that we've been able to encourage you today and this week as we've been working our way through Psalm 77. If we have encouraged you, I hope that you'll be an encouragement to us. This ministry is fully supported by listeners like yourself. And I haven't made this comment recently because, um, you know, this has always been a challenge for me to ask for money, to ask for support, especially when we're in the summer months and our giving drops dramatically, especially when gas prices are going up (laughs) dramatically. But this is a time for me to step out in faith and to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus and remind you that God is working all things together for good, even this ministry. And if you have been blessed, what could I ask you to be a blessing to us in return? Uh, Support the ministry through your gifts, your prayers, your contributions. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call, 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 85, verses 4 and 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation.